Hello, it's Jeremy Myers, and you are listening to the Redeeming God Podcast. So, do you want church unity? The easy answer to that is everybody wants church unity. Not just unity, though, but unity in all aspects of life. And what we're going to see today from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, it primarily applies to church unity, but the principles we pick up in these verses today can also apply to the other areas of your life where you desire to see unity. Um, just by way of summary, so far in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, well, all of Ephesians 4 up to this point, Paul has been talking about how to develop church unity. And the first step towards that, as we saw in verses 1 through 3, is to check our own attitude first. Unity begins in our own heart first. Okay? Uh, the second step, which we saw last time, was to focus on all the things that we have in common with one another. And there, Paul listed seven items. Okay? Today, in verses 7 through 10, Paul is going to address, what about when we the things we don't have in common. Obviously, there are still differences among many Christians. So how do we handle those, right? That's where we're headed today in our study of Ephesians 4, 7 through 10. So now normally, when you and I have disagreements with somebody, and it really doesn't matter who, <laughs> or what arena, or what area, uh, and we have this disagreement, generally, what do we try to do? Well, we try to mend the relationship, we try to talk things out, we try to come to some form of agreement, and of course, in all of this, communication is key. So we sit down, we might get a mediator, hopefully we don't have to resort to lawyers, but sometimes that's what happens. We visit marriage counselors, or financial counselors, or somebody to help us get our, our, our lives in order. And uh, we talk things out, we talk it over, okay? And we do that with our children, we do that with our spouses, we do this when there's conflict at work. Uh, and, and that's usually sort of when people are trying to handle conflict in a peaceful way, that's usually what we try to do. So it's a little bit surprising today as we come to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, that this is not what Paul tells us to do. He doesn't say, when you have disagreements with other Christians, sit down and talk it out. <laughs> no, okay? Uh, he's giving us these steps to develop unity. And again, in the first part of chapter four, he said that uh, the first step towards unity is to look to our own heart too, check our own attitudes. The second step, which we saw last time, was to focus on the things we have in common, these seven areas that all believers have in common. And now, in step three, Paul is going to say, what about, he's going to address those areas that we do not have in common, uh, the areas that we still have disagreements about. And Paul is going to give us a very surprising response to that, okay? Let's just jump in, uh, beginning with Ephesians 4, 7, where Paul begins to present his surprising proposal, okay? 4, 7, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, uh, Paul's going to go on and specifically talk about the, the grace of spiritual gifts. But even that term grace, right from the start, tells us how to approach those who have disagreements with us. We approach them with grace. 
Okay, that's going to be fairly key in dealing with people that you disagree with. Okay, now, uh, Paul says that grace was given. This grace, of course, is given from God through Jesus Christ to each one of us. Grace, of course, is unmerited favor. It's God giving us something good that we don't deserve. And I do address grace in my Gospel Dictionary online course. If you're part of the discipleship group, you can take that lesson right away. And um, But Paul is basically telling us here, right from the start, how to view people who have differences. We don't view them as bad people. We're not supposed to view them as less of a Christian than we are, okay? Uh, they are good people, and they have been extended the grace of God, just as you and I have. Therefore, they are on equal footing with God, just as we are, okay? And so uh, Jesus has given them grace, and he's, and he's given us, us grace. God and Jesus loves them just as much as God loves each one of us, okay? So again, this idea of grace reminds us that that uh, there are no uh, there's no hierarchy among believers in the family of God. Okay, He's made each one of us different, and He has given each one of us uh, a grace. Okay, so um, that's that's the first thing here. Now the rest of verse seven says that uh, this grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. That means that the gift of grace was given to us are are the same value and wealth. Uh, that, that other Christians have, okay? Now, Paul's going to go on and talk about this, but he wants to sort of take a little tangent, a little side route here to explain why Jesus did this and sort of the historical cultural uh, image that should be brought to mind when people think about Jesus giving, giving grace, giving gi- gifts to us, okay? So in verse 8, he says, When he, that's Jesus, ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts to men. All right, so first of all, Paul seems to be quoting here from Psalm 68, 18. And um, the reason for Paul's quotation here is found at the end of the quotation, where it says, and gave gifts to men. All right, but let me deal with sort of the first part of the quote first. Uh, the, The quote says, when he ascended. All right, in Psalm 68, if you were to go look at that chapter, it's describing the return of a victorious king, David, uh, to Jerusalem from battle. Okay, so David went off, took the army off to battle the enemies of Israel. Uh, David and the army was victorious. And now David and the victorious army are returning from battle, and that sets the scene for Psalm 68. Okay, now remember, Jerusalem sits on a hill. So when the king is returning, he is ascending the hill. He's climbing the hill with his army. Okay, now Paul here is using this sort of as a reference of Christ's ascension back to heaven. Okay, remember in Acts 1, that happened 40 days after his resurrection. Uh, The rest of verse 8 tells us two things occurred when Jesus Christ ascended back up the hill, back to the heavenly city of heaven. Uh, it says he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. All right, what does it mean that he led captivity captive? Well, remember, as humans, it, it refers to us being captive to sin and death, being slaves to Satan, in a sense. Okay, we knew only one way to live, and that was in the way of violence and death and accusation and blame and sin. We knew no other way to live. Uh, Jesus Christ came and he set us free from that, and he took captivity. That which was uh, held us captive, he took captive. 
Okay? That's what enslaved us. He enslaved. That which held us in bondage, he put in bondage. Uh, Colossians 2, 13-15 says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Okay, uh, it's an amazing truth here that Paul is is talking about also over in Colossians 2. We were enslaved to sin and death and Satan, and rather than just set us free, Jesus Christ could have done that. He could have just defeated the enemies and set us free. But rather than do that, Christ took prisoner that which had enslaved us. Okay, and as a result, we know that they can never enslave us again. Uh, and, and so that's the image here. Now, the second thing, according to Ephesians 4.8, that Jesus Christ did when he ascended is he gave gifts to men. And this is really the primary reason that Paul is quoting this passage. He said in the previous verse, in verse 7, that each of us has received the uh, gifts of grace from God. And as proof for that, he is quoting from Psalm 68.18. Okay? Now, if you were to go back and actually look at Psalm 68.18, you might discover a bit of a problem with Paul's quote. Paul apparently is quoting Psalm 68.18, but the phrase he quotes and gave gifts to men is not actually in Psalm 68.18. Psalm 68.18 actually says you have received gifts among men. Okay, but Paul says, you gave gifts to men. Okay, so what's going on here? I'm not going to get into the long technical explanation here. Uh, I do have a link in the manuscript for the show notes section of this podcast. You can go to redeeminggod.com slash Ephesians 4, 7 through 10. Just search for that on Google if you want to. And there's a link where you can go read more about it. But the, the, the short answer is that Paul is not actually quoting from the Hebrew text of the Bible, of Psalm 68:18. here. He's actually quoting from a Jewish targum. A targum is like a commentary or a, a study guide, sort of, a study aid, on, uh, in this case, on six, Psalm 68. Okay, so that's what he's quoting from. And we know that because you can go actually look at the Targum and see that that's, what, that's where the quote comes from, okay? So it'd be like you quoting from, I don't know, sort of like if you have a study Bible, sort of those notes at the bottom of, of, of your Bible, okay? And so that's what Paul is doing here, and uh, that's where the quote comes from. But that, none of that really matters to understand the text. The, the imagery, the cultural historical imagery is what really matters here. Because remember, this is referring to David returning from battle. He was victorious and he's returning. And Paul is saying that's what Jesus Christ did. So what happened? So uh, kings would go off to battle, and if they were victorious, then they would receive the spoils of war, right, from the, from the enemy. And uh, the army that won was basically able to take whatever and whoever they wanted as plunder. That's how, that's how war worked back then. The victorious army usually became quite rich with possessions and prisoners. And frequently, after such a battle, the king would receive gifts from the enemy army. Okay? They would give gold and prisoners to him. 
uh, you know, to let him run the country or maybe to get him to go away or, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever the case may be. Now, hopefully, if the king was a good king, then uh, the king would take all of those wealth and riches that he had received from the enemy and give them, give a large portion of them to his subjects, to his people. Uh, some, much to his own army, that's often how the army would get paid. And then maybe when the king returned victoriously to his home country, he would distribute a lot of that wealth to the people of his home country as well, so that they also could enjoy the uh, privileges of the plunder of going off to war, of the king going off to war with the army. Okay, so that's the historical background of what Psalm 68, 18 is saying. Jesus went off to battle. He received riches from the enemy. And that's the text of Hebrews 68, 18, the targum of 68, 18. And he gave gifts to men. He gave from that plunder to men uh, on his ascension. Okay, that's the idea that uh, Paul has in mind here when he's quoting this text. Okay, now Paul continues to explain what these gifts are, and, and, and we're going to get now into the meat of what we're supposed to do with our differences here in verses 9 and 10. And uh, he continues with this imagery of the king returning from battle, and uh, he says, Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? All right, if you've ever read this verse out of context, you might think that Paul is referring to Jesus descending into hell. If you ever recited the Apostles' Creed, you know that that's a line in the Apostles' Creed. And so some think that when Paul writes this here, that he descended into the lower parts of the earth, that's what Paul is thinking. That, he, that Paul is writing about Jesus descending into hell after he died on the cross. But that's not what Paul is talking about. Remember, we've already seen the ascension here is what occurred with Jesus 40 days after the resurrection when he ascended back up into heaven to sit at the right hand of God, is what, what Stephen saw in Acts chapter 7. Okay, so if that's the ascension, then the descension, when Jesus descended, is when he left heaven and came down to earth uh, to, to be the Messiah, the, the incarnate Jesus Christ, born of a Virgin Mary, okay? That's the descension. It's not a descending into hell. It's a descending from heaven to earth. Uh, it's the same idea that Paul talked about in Philippians 2, where he says, uh, though he was in the form of God, he made himself of a no reputation, taking the form of a servant, coming in the likeness of men. All right? He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's the descension. That's what Paul is talking about here when he descended to the lower parts of the earth. Okay, and then uh, verse 10, and he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all things, and here's the key, that he might fill all things. Okay, verse 10 is proving that uh, this descension of Jesus Christ in verse 9 is him coming down to earth. So the ascension is him going earth back to heaven. And the point is, um, let me back up a little bit. Some people wonder, why did Jesus have to ascend? Okay, and here we're getting to the key that uh, Paul is introducing here about how to handle our differences. Why did Jesus have to ascend? Why did he leave? Why did he have to go back to heaven? I mean, honestly, haven't you ever wished that Jesus would have just stuck around on earth, right? And uh, we could go visit him. 
you know, like maybe you have a hero or somebody, somebody you really respect, uh, maybe a favorite musician or a sports star or something, and you want to go watch them play, you want to go, go watch a game. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if you could do that with Jesus? Oh, Jesus is going to be in, in, you know, Jerusalem next week. He's going to be in, in D.C. Probably wouldn't go to D.C. <laughs> uh, he's going to be in, that's a joke. Uh, he, he, he probably would go to DC and tear the whole thing down. Um, uh, you know, but wouldn't it be nice if we could go visit Jesus and hear him speak and hang out with him? Yeah, it would be nice, but Jesus knew that we needed something more than that, something better. And that was why he ascended. And Paul tells us there why, so that at the end of verse 10, he might fill all things. If Jesus Christ were here on this earth in physical form, he would just be one person in one body, and he would be tied to wherever his body was. And so you can imagine uh, the line of people that would want to see him or hear him or even spend one second with Jesus, right? If you, were, if you got to spend a minute with Jesus in your entire life, you would be one of the most luckiest people on earth right? If you even had the money to travel and go see him. Because even if he didn't charge, you'd have to pay for the travel expenses and the hotel and the food, okay? You'd have to wait in line for months just to talk to him for a minute or two, okay? And that would have made it difficult for anybody really to see Jesus. But now, because he went back to heaven, we can all come before the throne of grace at any time we want for any length of time. And further, Here's the point that Paul is driving at. Remember those gifts that he gave to men? This is how Jesus Christ is filling all things in every way. He's given to each of us the Holy Spirit, and along with the gift of Holy Spirit, each of us has received spiritual gifts. Those are the gifts that he's given to us when he ascended. Each of us, you and I, each have a spiritual gift. And when we use our spiritual gifts, we are the body of Christ on earth. We don't have to go somewhere to see Jesus, to see the body of Jesus, see where he is physically, because where is Jesus? He's in us. He's in you. He's in me through the Holy Spirit, by the giving of the spiritual gifts. Paul talks about this in so many places especially in 1 Corinthians and elsewhere, that we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ because we are indwelled by the Spirit and we are given the spiritual gifts through the the Spirit uh, uh, so that we can be the hands of Jesus, the feet of Jesus, the voice of Jesus, the ears of Jesus uh, amongst the church and to the hurting people of this world. And that's where we get to the key here of how to... Get along with one another when there's disagreements. Have you ever figured out, have you ever thought about where these disagreements come from or why we have disagreements? Let me propose something sort of radical, and I believe this is what Paul is driving at here. The reason that we have disagreements in the church is because of our spiritual gifts. Okay, The reason... Some churches are different than others is because of spiritual gifts. And if we want to do away with differences, well, guess what? 
That means we have to do away with spiritual gifts. And we don't want to do away with spiritual gifts. These are gifts that Jesus Christ has given to each one of us. And actually, they are what makes us unique. And in fact, we need to be unique so that each of us can provide the gifting, the service, the love, the care that other members of the body of Christ give to us. Saying that we all need to get rid of differences is like saying that every hand needs to be a foot, that every eye needs to be a mouth, that every ear needs to be a toe, okay? Or just everything needs to be a toe. There shouldn't be ears and mouths and feet and hair and none of those. Everything should be a toe. In fact, let's just talk it out until we're all toes, (laughs) all right? That's not what Jesus wants. The reason Jesus... Uh, The reason for differences is because we are different. We're supposed to be different. In fact, Jesus wants us to be different. So rather than try to get rid of our differences and talk out our differences and smooth over our differences, what should we do? We should rejoice in our differences. Paul's in this section of Ephesians about how to walk in unity with one another. He said, first, look at your own attitudes. Then rejoice in the things you have in common. And now, here in verses 7 through 10, rejoice in the things you have different as well. (laughs) Because that is what makes us the body of Christ. That is what allows Jesus Christ to fill everything. Okay? Uh, Your differences with other Christians come from God. So don't try to make them like you. Rejoice that they are different and rejoice that you are different. Let me try to put this real practical in speaking about uh, specifically about spiritual gifts, okay? Uh, Take me, for example. I have a spiritual gift of teaching. I love to teach. I love to study the Word of God. It's one of the reasons I have my website and this podcast, okay? Uh, Because I have a spiritual gift of teaching. Now, there's a danger with, with teaching, the spiritual gift of teaching. In fact, it's the same danger that exists with all spiritual gifts, Uh, But let me just talk about myself. If I am not careful, then I tend to judge those and look down upon those who do not want to spend as much time reading, studying, and teaching the Word of God as I do. If I'm not careful, I think that those who don't want to spend hours every day studying the Bible, I think that they are second-class Christians, that they're not really doing what God wants them to do, because I love to study the Bible, and therefore all Christians should love to study the Bible just like me, right? And that can cause me to judge and condemn and look down my nose at other Christians who don't spend as much time studying the Bible. You see how my spiritual gifts causes me to despise and look down upon others? Well, it's not just teaching that does that. Uh, It's other spiritual gifts as well. uh, Some Christians have the gift of service, right? In fact, there's some churches where there's a large concentration of service-minded people in that church. And if they are not careful, uh, then they are liable, they can be guilty of looking down their noses and despising other Christians or other churches who maybe don't put on the soup pantry for the homeless who maybe don't want to serve in their community and get involved in lots of volunteer activities in their community because, you know, oh, look at them over there. They, they, they're not volunteering in the community and taking care of the 
the elderly and the poor and the homeless and the, the, the immigrants in our country. They're second-class Christians. You see what's happening here? People with a gift of service, if they're not careful, they can look down their noses upon others who maybe have different spiritual gifts. It's not that they're second-class Christians. It's just, guess what? <laughs> Jesus made them that way. Jesus gave them different gifts. And we can celebrate and rejoice that he, may, he gave you the gift of service and me the gift of teaching. And we can uh, rejoice in each other's gifts that way. Someone might have a gift of leadership. So they think that if, if other Christians are not learning how to be spiritual Christian leaders in their home and taking part in politics in their communities, getting involved in their communities, uh, becoming a leader in their workplaces, then, oh, those Christians, they're, not, they're, they're missing out on what God wants for them. Some people have the gift of evangelism. This one's very popular. Oh, if you're not out there saving souls, then you're not really doing, you're not really obeying God. You're not really doing God's will. Well, you have the gift of evangelism. Other people don't. The gift of giving. Um, oh, if you're not giving, you know, 20% of your income or as much as I am, then, then you know, helping the, the financial burdens and meet the needs of the church worldwide, then uh, you're not really being a faithful steward of your money. Well, now, hold on. <laughs> you have the gift of giving. Rejoice in what you have, and don't look down on people who have different spiritual gifts. You see, that's what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 4. He's not done. He's going to go on in verses 11 and following to talk us specifically about some spiritual gifts and how specifically they work in the church to create love and unity and the growth of the body of Christ, who's here to fill all things in all ways, in every way, okay? That's what Paul's going to go on to talk about, but the principle here he has just now introduced. He wants us to grow in unity and love for each other, all right? First thing is, look at your own heart. Second thing is, focus on everything we have in common. Third, what about the areas of differences? Well, don't try to get rid of them. Don't try to make us all clones of one another. Instead, rejoice in our differences, because that is what the body of Christ is all about. Rejoice in the gifts of grace that you have been given and rejoice that other people have different gifts so that we are unique and special and so that we as the body of Christ can function with our differences the way Jesus intended and the way Jesus wants. All right? That's what Paul is saying here and he's going to go on in the following verses and show us in more detail about how that works as well. So that's where we'll be picking up next week when we look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. We're going to slow down and look at these very critical verses uh, in, in great detail over the next several studies. So make sure you join us then, okay? We'll see you next time, Ephesians 4, 11. Okay, have a great week. Talk to you later. Bye.